Josh Taylor versus Jose Ramirez. Post-fight thoughts. Dun, dun, dun. Hey guys, Fight Junkie here. As usual, before we jump into this next episode, I want to remind you guys, you can hit me up on Twitter at FightJunkie.com. Listen to me on Anchor, Spotify, Google, Apple, Amazon. Basically, anywhere you can find a podcast, I'll be there. You can also subscribe to the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash FudJunkie2006. Who's the master, Leroy? Tonight, that's Josh Taylor. Excellent fight. Lived up to the expectations 100%. Of course, we're going to go over what we saw tonight. Get into a little bit how the social saw everything. But overall, I don't think you can be disappointed with this. Both fighters, tremendous heart, tremendous skill. Excellent overall contest tonight. Taylor came into this boxing first round. If you guys haven't listened to the pre-fight podcast, you can check, double check, triple check everything I'm telling you when I reference that podcast video icon, upper right corner. Click it, it'll link back. We mentioned this in the pre-fight. If he boxed, he has an easier time. If he stands, he has a more difficult time. Of course, he can still win that way, but it's going to be harder because this is the way Ramirez likes to fight. Well, Taylor came out in the first round and he boxed. So I'm thinking, okay, we knew there'd be spots where he was going to box. We knew there'd be spots where he was going to slug. Let's see what he does more consistently. First round goes to Taylor. Then Ramirez comes back, and in my opinion, two, three, four, it's a Ramirez rounds. Why? Josh was standing and banging more. In fact, it had the appearance that Taylor was slowly but steadily being dragged into that dogfight, maybe being worn down a bit. It looked like Ramirez was starting to turn the tide. Then Taylor brought out the big Double shock power in the sixth round. Boom. Left hand smack. Diggity dab right on the chin of Ramirez. And down he goes. Beautiful shot. Absolutely precision. Pinpoint on the button. Kaboom. Ramirez, of course, tough as nails. Hops up. Gets on the offensive. And here we go. Now we got to fight. We've seen Taylor can box. We saw Ramirez starting to turn the tide a little bit. And then the power came back. It changed the tide because in the seventh round, down goes Ramirez for a second time. This time, he was hurt. This time, it was an uppercut. This time, it looked like he may not make it out of the round. Now, I have to address it right here now. Because a lot of people are harping on Kenny's performance overall. They didn't like the way that he was breaking the fighters. They didn't like what they were calling pump fake breaks. Where he like jumps in but doesn't break it. But he throws his hands up. Kind of weird. Like he almost is going to break it. Then he stops. And so they didn't like the way that he counted when Ramirez went down. Because of... What I believe is a new rule. It's a new like rule set from the commission. You don't always see it. 
and it might depend on what commission and where they're fighting, but you'll see when a fighter gets up from a knockdown, the referee would do all this weird stuff like move left, move right, go forward, go back, spin on your head, count to five, jump on top of the ropes, you know, squat down, uh, lift me up in the air. It's weird. Like, I guess they just, you know, I, obviously they're trying to see if the fighter's okay, but it is a weird situation because during all of those extracurricular moves they're making the fighter do to to determine if they're okay they're getting valuable extra seconds to recover so a lot of people were saying well without those extra movements and move left move right come to me walk back and all these things that Kenny did for Ramirez maybe Ramirez is in so much trouble at the very least he goes down one more time we're not gonna know but we've seen this happen before in other fights so it's not just Kenny it's not just in Vegas but it is hit or miss and it is kind of weird I will say that like if you had a Taylor inside bat you're gonna be screaming at the TV pulling your hair out going what the hell are you doing let him fight he's giving him an extra three four five seconds I'm sure somebody's out there probably counted how many extra seconds and say, well, instead of an eight count, now it's a 16 count or something like that. And you do have a point, especially when you're betting. And it was never this way. And it's become more and more standard. Again, you don't see it all the time. But I think commissions and referees are trying to err on the side of caution. And I've seen it where they do this and a fighter doesn't react perfectly however they want. And then they wave it off and people go berserk as well because maybe the fighter nails two out of three of the movements or three out of the four movements. And then on the last movement, he doesn't get it exactly right. And the referee waves it off and everyone's going, what the hell? Like, how long does this fighter have to do these things until you determine he's okay to fight? So I understand what people are talking about there. Obviously, even though we went down, obviously people weren't happy with Kenny's performance. Overall, you cannot question the heart, the determination. Ramirez is one tough S-O-B, without question. In my opinion, Taylor looked to take his foot off the gas a bit in 8 and 9. And you're not going to hear a lot about this from the people that think Taylor won. And we'll get into this in a minute because it plays into the scorecards. After those knockdowns, though, the big change that I saw besides Taylor taking his foot off the gas was Ramirez was staying on the outside more after those brutal knockdowns, and he quit using his jab. That jab was a big key to closing the distance, and when he quit using that, it allowed uh, Taylor to pot shot him easier, allowed him to time him because he was just falling into the shots. When he came in behind the jab, he was safer, he was landing the jab, and it set up his other assaults on Taylor. When he quit using that, it was a lot more difficult for him to close the distance. And you saw just from the knockdowns, it took him a little while to get the juju back flowing. Like, I mean, the guy is tough, but he was hurt. That brutal uppercut in the seventh was the one that really did the damage. And it took a little minute there for him to recover. And, I mean, the way that he fought, being that hurt, you you just got to take your hat off to him because that is that is not an easy thing to do, especially against the level that he's fighting at against Josh Taylor. We had a back and forth round ten with both guys having success, and that's where you started to see maybe Ramirez is back in it now, right? Taylor kind of took his foot off 
in those middle rounds right there. Ramirez was happy to stay on the outside, you know, outwork him to some degree, but you could see his punches just didn't have the same steam. And again, we're going to talk about the scores in a minute, but I think that was that was fooling a lot of people because you had Taylor taking his foot off the gas a bit, and you had Ramirez throwing punches, but they didn't have a lot of oomph on them like they did in previous rounds. And I think that's where you're going to get some dispute about the scorecards is in those rounds. In fact, in my opinion, you saw that back and forth 10th round. Well, Ramirez looked a little more spicy. He looked like he had a little something-something left in the 10th round compared to those 8-9 rounds. 7, obviously, where, where it looked like he was just trying to recover mentally and physically. And then in the 11th, it was Taylor, in my opinion, that looked worn. In the 11th round, he looked worn to me. I had said he was taking off those middle rounds. He was taking off 8 and 9. 10 was back and forth. But again, he was fighting in spurts. And he was holding a lot during the fight. Now, people are going to bitch and moan about me telling you this. But it's true. Listen, some of it is tactics. I get it. Right? They even said they trained this. So when Ramirez comes in, they know he wants to fight on the inside. You hold him. I get it. I don't especially like all the holding, the octopus style. Technically, holding is illegal. It shouldn't be allowed to be used as a tactic, but this has been going on forever, far before Josh Taylor. So I'm not going to bitch and moan about him holding as a tactic. I believe he was doing that some of the time. The other part of the time, he was doing it because he was tired. Now, I know in the post fight, he said he could go on and on and box for 12 and go at a ridiculous pace, but it wasn't a, a smart game plan for him to do that. He was tired. Let's be real. Ramirez put a lot of pressure on him, hit him with gnarly, gnarly body shots. In fact, you could say those body shots are the reason that Taylor took his foot off the gas. You could say that they're the reason that Ramirez started coming on two, three, and four. And you could say they're the reason that, in my opinion, Ramirez closed the last round better than Taylor. That's after suffering two knockdowns, one that was absolutely brutal that that hurt him a lot not only did he show a ton of heart but his conditioning because in my opinion for the most part he was outworking taylor and pushing the pace where taylor was landing the harder more precise punches but he was doing far more holding again in my humble opinion than ramirez was throughout the entire fight scorecards 114-112 Taylor. What does that put us at? That puts us at 6-6 even in rounds. People were bitching and moaning and whining and crying. This is the type of fight that we predicted going in. We actually said 7-5 either way or even 6-6 with nobody saying it's going to be wider than 8-4. Boom. This is what you got. Listen, in my opinion, those knockdowns did indeed win the fight for Josh Taylor. Point blank. The idea that the fight was not competitive is absolutely astonishing to me. Listen, I believe personally this has a lot to do with where all the money was. We touched on this in the the pre-fight podcast. Taylor was almost up to a 3-1 to favorite straight at one point. Now, you're going to tell me that those people are not biased? Come on. Taylor got the win, yo. Your guy got the win legitimately. You don't need to make it out 
more than what it is. It was a good competitive fight that Taylor won with knockdowns. I won't even argue if you want to say a 7-5 Taylor in rounds. That's fine. I'm okay with that. But 14-12 is not some kind of ridiculous robbery that the socials are going off about. This is the type of fight that it was. Why can I say it was this type of fight? Because Taylor was taking off rounds and holding while Ramirez was punching. The reason that people were not giving credit for Ramirez in those rounds is because those were not his best rounds. That was when he was suffering from obviously being hurt. He was going through his own uh, mental and physical doubts. He had been down. He had to have his own top-notch conditioning. He had to worry about the counters coming from Taylor. It's not like he could just buzzsaw him because he tried that early. And it, while it worked, in the middle rounds, he got dropped. So he had to be careful as well trying to fight, trying to outwork Taylor, trying to land punches, trying to be defensively sound and not get his head knocked off. But nobody was given credit for that because they didn't look as pretty as they did in the early rounds. So in 2-3-4 Ramirez looks different than an 8-9-10 Ramirez, right? An 11-12 round Ramirez looks more like the 2-3-4 round Ramirez. So it's easy for people to go, Ramirez won 11-12-2-3-4, right? But then all the middle rounds, even though Josh may have taken his foot off the gas, maybe he was holding a little too much, they weren't giving Ramirez credit. Now, I'm not saying Ramirez won the fight. I don't think that at all. I do believe 114-112 Taylor is a correct score. I don't argue at all a 6-6 six, six in rounds and then you score the two knockdowns and that's how you get 14-12, right? Even in rounds, but the knockdowns decide the fight. What's rare is all three blind mice had a 114-12 card. Now, of course, for some reason, people aren't happy with that. I guess they thought maybe Taylor won nine rounds plus the knockdowns. I'm not really sure, but apparently they said it was wider than that. Taylor himself thought it was wider than that. But I think for once, that's a legitimate scorecard. I don't think you're going to be able to make a bigger gap than that. Maybe seven to five. Eight to four, in my opinion, is kind of pushing it. But if I stick to my pre-fight podcast again, eight to four to six, six, and nobody was going to say wider than that. I'm okay with the six, six, even in rounds and 14, 12 Taylor. I think a lot of people didn't really take into account how much Taylor had let off and how much he was looking for the big shots. He had did done so well with big shots that it kind of allowed him to rest and still land those eye-catching shots throughout the fight. And so people were really focused on that. Even the announcing team, they're really focused on the big shots of Taylor and not the pity pat. I call him pity, pity pat simply because Ramirez was worn down. He was trying to recover. They weren't as brutal, hard shots as they were early in the fight and late in the fight. They, the pity pat shots from Ramirez just weren't as eye-catching. So they were still giving credit to Taylor for throwing fewer punches but the harder punches and that happens to be honest with you right that happens almost in every fight you have a guy that's outworking a guy or the guy that's landing the cleaner harder shots I don't think this is any difference I I just think that for the people that already got the right guy if you pick Taylor you already got the right guy if you picked him straight you got him if you picked him by decision you got him the only people that could really 
complain about this is if you had Taylor by knockout and you thought maybe he would be able to get Ramirez out of there in the seventh round. I believe it was like 20 seconds left, 30 seconds left in the round, something like that. And then Taylor took his foot off in eight. So you can't, unless you think Taylor was going to finish him in seven, you can't even say, oh, he would have finished him in eight because he could have still tried. Ramirez was very hurt and Taylor didn't. Taylor took his foot off the gas in eight. Again, this this was a hard fight for Taylor as well. The idea that it was just a cakewalk and very easy for him for start to finish is, is not true because you're telling me if Taylor had the opportunity, if he had the conditioning, if he had the um, defensive lapses and Ramirez, he wasn't going to take advantage of him? Of course he was. You saw him take advantage of those throughout the entire fight. He did what he could do as much as he could do as often as he could do it. So it's kind of weird to me that people think that for some reason, you know, Taylor would have done more than what he could have if it wasn't for Kenny Bayless. I don't think that, uh, that that's the case at all. And I'm always rough on these referees and judges and officials and everything else. But I don't think that, um, you know, the few seconds from Kenny was going to make a difference in Taylor winning by stoppage unless you're talking about that one round and 30 seconds only. If we're talking about that one round and 30 seconds only, then of course we could debate that because we really don't know, right? I will make the case that he was really hurt right there. And that 30 seconds, if Josh could have came on with a tremendous flurry or landed something big, who knows? It could have at least sent him down one more time. Now, with the scoring, it wouldn't have mattered. He would have just won by one more point. But if you're talking about the possibility of him being stopped or the referee coming in, yeah, you have about 30 seconds there that you can make a case for. But after that, round eight, you can't. And round nine, you can't because Taylor was still there. They were four rounds. Kenny wasn't holding Taylor back from punching Ramirez in the face in round eight and nine. And in my opinion, he took his foot off the gas. Makes sense. Tough fight, right? Like, you, you, need, you need to take breaks in these type of fights. It's very rare to get fighters that just can be a nonstop buzzsaw for 12 rounds and just punch and defend at this type of elite level nonstop. So in my opinion, it is the fight that we expected. In my opinion, it was a 50-50 fight. In my opinion, Taylor does have the better skills. Again, check, double check, triple check, everything I'm telling you now I said prior to the fight. He did have the hand speed. He did have the better footwork. But Ramirez is tough as nails. And Ramirez did what he needed to do the best that he could, and I thought it was a very competitive fight with a lot of ebb and flows, and I think Taylor made mistakes, and of course Ramirez made mistakes, but this idea that Taylor fought a flawless fight to me is not true. The idea that Taylor fought a fight that was basically a wipeout or a, you know, a 9, 10, 11, 12, I have no idea what the crazies out there are going to say the scorecard should be. I don't believe that at all. Uh, as far as Taylor winning the fight, yes, I believe that. As far as the second knockdown, Kenny Bayless holding his arm or being in there on a break and Taylor doing something shady, on hitting on the break, no. I don't believe that. I've watched that replay over and over and over again. Kenny Bayless is nowhere to be found. He's not touching either fighter. Uh, I believe Josh pushes Ramirez back and then lands it, throws the uppercut. All's fair in love and war, baby. That's what happens. Ramirez is the one that should have been prepared for that shot. He didn't see it coming. He didn't expect it to land. Um, I, I saw nothing there 
to suggest that Taylor did anything remotely illegal or that the ref in that instance screwed up. It was just a simple, beautiful shot that Ramirez wasn't prepared for it, got hit on the chin, got dropped, and then we get into the referee counting situation. But overall, man, this was an amazing fight. I'm really impressed with both guys. Josh Taylor is very, very skilled. There's times in the fight where I'm like, dude, like you should be boxing. And there's times in the fight where I'm like, dude, it looks like you're going to get worn down. Right? I mean, there are times where it looks like, what's you know, like, I don't know if he loses focus or what, what the case is. And then there's time he's just sensational with his combinations and his movement. A lot of talk about what, what goes on from here. Well, I, for one, wouldn't mind seeing a rematch. I know a lot of people are not going to be happy with that because they always want fighters to move on. The Taylor side is going to say he beat him decisively. The scores were bunk. And he scored two knockdowns, so why rematch? I just thought it was an incredible fight, and I like watching incredible fights. Again, I don't think Ramirez won, so I'm not saying that because I think Ramirez won. I'm just saying that because it was a hell of a fight. A lot of people are saying, Taylor v. Crawford, 147. I mean, that's an interesting fight, right? How does, Ta- how does Taylor look going up to 47? Would Bud fight him? People were saying, could Bud come down to 40? I don't see that. But, I mean, all the belts are there. You never know. I mean, there's, of course, interesting fights that could be made. I think Ramirez is definitely still in the mix, 100%. How can he not be? That was a tremendous fight. And, of course, Taylor's got the leverage here on what he's going to do. If a big money fight did happen to get offered at 47, I wouldn't be surprised if he goes up for a big money fight and gets an exemption for the belts and then comes back down. That's the problem, see, with boxing. He's got all the belts, and with all the belts come all the mandatories. So that's going to present a problem if he's going to be able to try and hold on to all those belts. That's why it's very difficult, A, obviously, to win the belts. I believe he's the sixth person in the four-belt era to do it, whereas all four belts, very, very difficult. But it's probably even more difficult How's he going to defend them all? Because then you're just stuck in nonstop mandatories and whoever, wherever, whenever against a lot of fighters that shouldn't even be ranked and they're fighting for your title and it becomes a big old gigantic mess with dates and fighters and purse splits. And pretty soon the guy that had four belts starts vacating them and says, this is not even worth it. I'm going to go for this fight. I'm going to go for that fight. I'm going to go for this big money fight or they move up and wait. Sad to say that's probably what will happen here. We don't know how soon that will happen, but if history repeats itself, right, that's what's going to happen. Sad state, but the belts then will be recycled. Like I said, Ramirez will be in the mix no matter what. And then, You'll probably see Josh Taylor going for the big money fights. And who can't who can blame him? I could not blame him. Like again, I would love to see Ramirez fight. I would love to see a Crawford fight. I wouldn't even mind seeing him defend one or two of the titles against the mandatory. But then when it be, just becomes mandatory, 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 you get stuck in this endless cycle. It's just a loop of mandatories. Cause when you defend the WBC, then the IBS 
The IBF is right up your ass saying, now you got to defend here. He defends that. Then it's the WBO. Defend that. Then it's the WBA. And then you're back to the WBC. It just keeps going and going and going. And dudes are like, come on, man. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> First of all, I need a break, right? Don't take a break because then they'll strip you. Like, there's a, you guys are going to get me going. I'm going to get going. I'm going to get going. You're going to get me on a rant here. And so I'm just saying it's probably going to be difficult for him to do that. And that's sad because it's cool. It's unique. This doesn't happen all the time. But boxing is boxing. It's not going to change. So I have no uh, I have no hard feelings if Josh goes straight for a money fight because the odds are eventually that's going to happen anyway because he won't want to be stuck in an endless cycle and loop of defending against mandatory contenders for each belt nonstop for the rest of his life until he leaves the division. And so beyond that, we also had a couple of undercards, nothing, you know, nothing really mainstream that a lot of people talked about. I didn't even do pre-fight podcasts on these, but I thought they were interesting. One was a big upset of um, Elvis Rodriguez. That was Kenneth J- uh, Sims Jr. He was a plus 1,200 underdog, 12 to 1. Rodriguez came into that fight minus 2,250. And Sims Jr. upset him via majority decision legit too like he actually beat him a lot of people were surprised that kenneth got the decision and in part because obviously he's not the a side but the other reason was because on the fight i think it was right before his or two fights before kenneth fought lewis cora who was a 275 underdog he got totally jobbed 100 percent against Jose Enrique Dorantes Vivas, who was, man, try saying that three times. Jesus. He was a minus 400 favorite. The dude had two points deducted for low blows and a knockdown. We're talking three points in an eight round fight, and he won the fight. I'm not kidding. Like, ah. Uh, I think that was the first or the second fight on the card, and I said, oh, sweet baby Jesus. Do not let this be the trend for the rest of the card. So when Kenneth came around after watching Coria get jobbed on the on the cards, I'm like, are they even going to give this to Kenneth? And so everyone's thinking, well, poor Kenneth has no shot in hell of getting by the minus 2200 favorite. And he did. So obviously the judges that were judging the uh, Coria fight did not judge the Sims fight, or they would have not given Sims that fight because those judges were smoking a little something-something in that Coria fight. Sad, too, because now that kid's like 12 and 5. And I was reading on the socials, like, there's three or four fights in his career that he could have outright won. So he could be looking like something like a 12 and 2 record instead of a, a 12 and 5 record. I mean, that's a big difference, right? You're 12 and 1, 12 and 2 versus 12 and 5. I mean, that's life-changing money for these guys, especially when you're an unknown. So, I, I mean, that's just not right. You know, you win, you win, just like tonight. Regardless if you think the scores should have been a little bit wider or you think they were okay and Taylor still got the nod with a 14-12, the fact of the matter is Taylor legitimately won, right? I mean, we didn't have to talk about any dispute of who won. The only dispute comes by how much did he win. That's far different than a guy like Coria, who actually wins the fight in an eight-round fight. You got three points deducted, and he loses the fight. That's just wrong. But then again, that's boxing. That's it for this episode of Foot Junkie. I will sock it to you tomorrow, baby. Foot Junkie out.